in your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter number 11 this morning as we come to God's Word for the preaching and teaching portion. I say it's been a blessing to be with you already. The singing, the prayers particularly ministered to my heart. And um, I thank you for that. Praise God for that and His work in you. And as we praise Him, there was a time when all I cared about was the preaching. Um, it's amazing what God will do if you'll yield yourself to Him in, in every area that He's provided. Now, the truth in a song can just um, be the voice of God at times as it um, projects reality and truth and how the um, softness, tenderness um, of a prayer can often encourage a soul, lift up the downcast and remind you of promises of God. So, um, yeah, so as we grow in the Lord, I, I appreciate those times. And I praise God for that as He ministers to my own heart. Um, all right. This morning we will continue our journey through the book of Mark. I'm going to read the um, exact same portion that we read last week in its fullness, and then we're going to take up the portion that we didn't get to last week. And we'll begin our reading in verse number 11. If everyone will rise for the reading of God's word out of reverence for it, if you're willing and able. And this is the word of God. Mark writes, by the power of the Spirit, to Christians throughout all generations. Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem, then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the peoples were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. And this is the portion that we're going to hone in on this morning. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray again. Pray with me, please. Father, we um, come before you once again 
I'm just begging for mercy, Father, and begging for grace. Lord, you know our feeble-mindedness. You know our fragile frames. Lord, you know my own. Father, you know all the thoughts that are racing through my head right now. Father, you know all the things that I want to say and all the things that I, I don't. And Father, you understand the anxieties of my heart. You understand, Father, I'm the very intents of it. Father, you know the very secrets. Father, those caves and crevices that I don't even know, Father, you're there. And um, you know what we need this morning, Lord. You know that of every soul that's represented here, whether child or adult. Father, um, anybody that's listening by way of um, social media, years down the road on a podcast, Father, um, through your providence, you know, Father, um, exactly what we need and how to meet those needs. And we pray that you would meet those needs this morning, Father. We pray that you would help us just to stay our minds upon you for a few moments, Father, for the next hour. Lord, that you would just give us a settledness of uh, a settled heart, Father, and a stayed mind um, to where we can just focus in on the Word of God and we can just, um, Father, just bask in the glow of um, the power of the Spirit. Uh, we can yield ourselves, Father, to the teaching of God's Word. And even when practical application isn't made, Father, um, our hunger and thirst for righteousness, you can meet it there with the text. Um, Father, even outside of the preaching of God's Word, and that's what you do, Father, and you're amazing at it. Um, how you take uh, your word and you meet the needs, Father. You you break one piece of bread and feed 5,000. And uh, that's what we're looking for this morning, Lord, as we come to the text. Uh, not um, eloquence and not mechanics and not um, obligatory tradition. But, Father, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Um, give us a hunger and thirst to meet with you. Father, would you speak to us this morning in some um, some unique way, Father, so that we know that as we leave this place, we met with God in the power of Christ um, according to His His Spirit. And Father, we're not in a in a um, in a, in a vacuum. Um, Lord, we pray for those churches that are standing across the street this morning, down the road, and across the nation and throughout the world. As the text was read earlier, Father, um, we were to pray for all men. So we pray for those men this morning that stand in pulpits and in, in areas, Father, that are underground churches and places that are unknown, but also all across this land. And God, just pray a blessing upon your word as it goes forth um, for the hardening of some, Father, but for the salvation of others, God. And, in, um, and we pray for the salvation, Lord, of those that sit under the teaching of God's word this morning that are not saved. Father, we pray for your quickening spirit and the power of the word like a two-edged sword to just divide us under the very thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, um, whether saved or unsaved, you would just show us this morning our, your, our greatest need. And I trust that that greatest need for all of us this morning is Christ in one measure or another, Father. So would you help us to exalt him, to raise him up, Father. If there be anything in us that would hinder our prayers this morning, Lord, if there's anything in us that would hinder our walk, Father, uh, may, may we give uh, attendance to it this morning, Father, as we sit before a holy God, but also a gracious Savior, Lord. And out of the gratitude of heart, may we just pursue you this morning in the text, um, whether it's me preaching and teaching, Father, or those that are receiving. Uh, Father, we love you and just thank you for this time and pray, God, a blessing upon your people as we um, as we meet with you. Father, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you for standing. Um, 
Again, if you were with us last week, we began the first portion of this text and really uh, attempted to hone in on uh, the meaning of the text um, with some application. Um, when we saw the fig tree, we saw the temple, and, um, and there's a, a lot of different interpretations on this. I listened to a man last week before I even preached the sermon of whom I go to often and thank God for. And he totally disagreed with me on the text, and I, and I appreciate that. And thank God for him, and thank God for the you know the the loving opposition. Um, but at the end of the day, I believe that that's where it was. I believe that that's the the true meaning of the text. I believe that God left it, particularly in the book of Mark, interwoven those two accounts of the fig tree and the temple um, purification there, as our Lord walked in, not only to um, to uh, fulfill Old Testament prophecy of the purification of the temple um, and to signify that he is king, um, as we saw in uh, verse number one of chapter number 11, as he comes in roaring on a donkey um, and, uh, and signifies with that informal coronation, yet somewhat formal coronation, um, that the king has come. And then he walks in not, uh, not long after into the temple to cleanse it of its um, idolatry and its lack of true worship. They were steeped in uh, the mechanics. They were steeped in greed. They were steeped in a hundred things probably um, that dishonored the Lord. And just as the Lord um, had a desire on the road uh, from Bethany to Jerusalem for, to find fruit on a tree, all he found were leaves that signified life. Um, but was barren when he got there. Thus, he did not receive the reward or the fruit that he had desired. In a similar way, Jesus walks into the temple um, with a barrenness of fruit, a, a tree with green leaves that um, signified and preached and proclaimed and declared life and refreshment and regeneration and communion with God in this place that was to be um, the place of prayer, the house of prayer in which the Gentiles, the nations would come and could um, sacrifice unto the Lord and to commune with Him and feel His presence and, and know that there is a God in heaven. They had turned into a corrupt um, gamble um, in, which, um, in which dishonored the Lord. Um, thus He is pronouncing judgment upon that. Um, you get to verse number 20, and you see the judgment that comes upon the tree. Um, he says, Now in the morning as they passed by, he saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, as inquisitive as he often is, uh, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answers the question, right? There's somewhat of a question there from an apostle. Um, if you go to Matthew's Gospel, it says they asked him, but really Peter's the representative here, and he asked him considering um, exactly what happened and what the deal was with the tree. And the, the, the tree is an area of contention for many uh, people throughout the ages, and we talked a little bit about that, what the significance of it was and why Jesus would perform such a destructive miracle. And, and I'm convinced that it is uh, an enacted parable, um, enacting... Uh, it's parabolic in nature, signifying the judgment that would come upon the religious elite, the leaders of the nation that represented um, the nation. And that kingdom, as we read in Matthew um, later on in chapter number 21 and other places, and that kingdom would be taken away and it would be given to a nation that bore fruit. 
and that nation was the church. And we looked at that in First Peter, um, chapter number two, that we are a holy nation. We are a a a a, a, a royal priesthood. We are we do offer sacrifices. We are a people that we're not a people. But this has always been the plan of God. Um, and the nation of Israel, um, in their narrow-mindedness, um, lost its sight of that. And um, and the truth is, is that we're we're not going to be uh, awfully too awful hard on the nation of Israel because that signifies us as well. Uh, that's all the teaching through the New Testament. That's the nature of the church. That's uh, the nature of the churches, several of them, in, in the book of Revelation. And if we're not careful, um, what happened? I think it's Romans chapter number 11 and verse number 20 that what happened to those branches? Uh, it should cause us uh, fear and it should, it should cause us to uh, fear God when we look at things like that. And we see the judgment that comes from God in a corporate nature on entities that He has ordained. Um, thus, it should, should push us on to perseverance and to have faith in God. And thus, we come to verse number 22. So Jesus answers the question, and it almost seems as if He doesn't answer the question. Um, and I've been somewhat... Uh, uh, my, my mind is just, just trying to grab, grapple around this. Um, because it doesn't seem on the outset or... Uh, you read many people when you listen to other pastors or Christians on, on the text, and many have come to the conclusion that Jesus just doesn't answer the question at all. And that this portion of the text has been inserted at some point, that there's no original connection uh, between the two. This is the conclusion of, of many, many people. Um, but I'm not convinced of that. I'm convinced that um, while we're going to deal with prayer in general, there's a particular application here um, that is given to the apostles or to the disciples and to the people that are under the hearing of this, um, that this mountain signifies a particular mountain. There's a lot of dispute on what mountain that is, but in the text, as well as in Matthew, um, the, the text says this mountain. It doesn't say a mountain. It doesn't say any mountain. Um, it, Jesus just didn't pull something out of thin air. He looks around as he's walking along the way. Peter asks the question, and there's a mountain somewhere um, in line that he calls, and he says, this mountain. You could say that uh, potentially this mountain be moved. I mean, there's a lot of speculation on what that mountain is, and I, I don't know the exact answer of that this morning. Um, I, I do have my own opinion as far as the context goes. Some believe that it's the Mount of Olives. And they reference Zechariah, uh, uh, Zechariah 14 and the prophecy of splitting the mountain. I don't particularly think it's, it's quite that. Um, there's another mountain that, um, that one uh, historian looks at, and it was a mountain that was actually created by Herod that actually had been moved by Rome. Um, and all of the particular things that had happened there, and they fashioned this mountain and built this monument in which represented all of the, the Roman type of, um, of, of economy. It would have been disdainful uh, for it would have been um, yeah, disdainful in the eyes of the, of the uh, disciples as they looked at that. You can imagine the feelings that they wrought that were wrought in their hearts as they would look at a monument like that and see everything that was wrong with the world as they, 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 the nation by nature hated Rome and this king that was going to come, they wanted him to take, uh, to, to take allegiance with them and overthrow Rome. So, so it very well could be that, that the, the mountain that they're talking about, moving this mountain, is the mountain of, uh, that, that represented Rome and Herod and everything that was wrong with the world. Uh, it could also be uh, Mount Zion or the, the Temple Mount which in the Old Testament represents a number of things, but that's one of the things that would have, it would have been right there in front of him. The Dead Sea wouldn't have been far off. Um, so he used this picture in which um, this mountain could be moved. It could be either uh, Roman 
um, uh, Roman power, or it could be the religious elite. Both obstacles of our Lord, both standing in direct opposition of the kingdom of Christ. Um, thus, our, our Lord looks at them and says, have faith in God. And with that faith, um, obstacles um, can, can be moved that withstand in opposition um, to the kingdom of God. And that would correlate with uh, Matthew's other um, use of this, this, um, this particular parable, if you want to use it, or this illustration. You, you find the exact same uh, phrase in Matthew chapter number 17 and verse number 20. Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, um, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing uh, will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And the exact same, or th there's a similar context. You may remember it. We went through that passage in the book of Mark, but he didn't use the illustration. Mark doesn't refer to it. Um, but there was a demon that needed to be cast out. And, um, and they're trying their best and they're working everything that they can. Um, and, and they're unable to accomplish it. Jesus gives them this illustration. Um, this thing, this demonic entity that stands in opposition um, to the kingdom of Christ and everything that it represents, um, that the only thing that can, 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 can alleviate that, that can push that aside, it's like a mountain of impossibility. And you know that now because you've tried. You've exercised your own strength. You've, you, you've, you've, you've you know, uh, utilized your own skill, your intellect. And with fervency, you entered into this endeavor to cast out the demon. And guess what? That mountain still stands. That this mountain only moves by, by, by prayer and by fasting, which, which really truly represents a dedication and a devotion um, that is born out of, out of faith. And you can see similar things. I, I may even go to, to, to Revelation for you to look later. Um, if not, um, Revelation chapter 6 speaks of the prayers of the saints. Those that have been martyred by God that cry out, Oh, how, Lord, uh, how long, O oh Lord? Um, in, in Revelation chapter number 8, we see that those prayers are, like, uh, are gathered in a censer before God as the angels gather together and they go up before God and they come back down before the earth and the, and the judgment is released. And in uh, Revelation chapter number 8, it literally says um, that a mountain was cast into the sea. Um, you can take that literally if you like. Um, but that is a book that is wrapped up in apocalyptic language and literature such that it very well could reference a, a nation such as in Jeremiah chapter number 51. If you were to turn there, you would read in verse number 24 a, um, a, of a nation called Babylon that was referred to as a disastrous mountain. You'll, you'll read on down in verse number 46, I believe it is, of, the, of that mountain being cast into the sea. This nation meets its, its demise as it rises up against God. And, um, and with symbolic apocalyptic language, um, that mountain of Babylon, and that's why you don't, uh, you don't see or meet any Babylonians this morning. Um, that mountain was moved because it stood in direct opposition of the people of God. And God uh, poured out His judgment upon that. And that we see that these mountains in particular are, are great difficulties. If you study the Scriptures, um, are great difficulties that stand in, in opposition to, um, to the kingdom of God. And that the, when the prayers of the saints go up before God, um, the text here um, is extremely clear that when they have faith in God, they will be able to say to this mountain, be removed. And as long as they don't doubt in their heart, but believe that those things that he says will be done, 
Um, Whatever they ask for, whatever they desire, when they pray, they will receive it from the Lord. Does that astonish you? Or are we so jaded this morning to believe that that can never happen? You say, oh yeah, yeah, I believe that. I believe that that could happen, no doubt. I'm just not sure that it could happen in my own life. And a way to gauge that is by your own prayer life. You know, and this may be me this morning. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, um, there's been an emphasis um, that was born out of my own heart, probably um, for a desire to be a people that pray together and to pray for great things. Things that are impossible. Um, Things that only God could do. You know, you read in the Scriptures and you read about men like Abraham, um, who was a man of prayer and angels came down from heaven to converse with him. You read about men like Jacob, who God answered his uh, wonderful prayer as he wrestled with him for the blessing. You read about men like um, Elijah, whose prayer closed the heavens for three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain. Um, We read of uh, another occasion where Elijah brought down fire from Mount Carmel, uh, possibly to remove that mountain. And we read about Hannah's prayer of her child Samuel and and how God gloriously answered that and her prayer goes back up of thanksgiving. We read about uh, men like Job who prayed and his um, captivity was turned and light came in a a place of darkness and God met with him. You read about uh, men like Daniel who prayed to God and Gabriel came to him in the midst of his confession and gave him a great vision and a great prophecy. We read about men like Cornelius um, who pray, who a righteous man. Um, and Peter was sent to tell him the words whereby he and his people should be saved. In answer to prayer, this great blessing came upon him and his whole household. Um, you read about men like Paul and Silas who were in prison at Philippi. And as they prayed, they sang praises and the place was shaken and the jailer was converted. And, and there's a, it's a very good likelihood there that a church was born out of nothing and out of idolatry and out of a hundred other things of tradition. I mean, you read about men like Stephen, and as he prayed and he looks up, he sees the heavens open. We read about men like Christ, um, who, yes, he's God, but he's fully man. And as he prays, the heavens are opened, and the Holy Ghost descends upon him. We read about him praying at his transfiguration, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. We read in Luke 6, 12, that it came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And this is the only place where it's recorded that our Savior spends a whole night in prayer. What was about to take place? He was about to come down off of the mountain and gather His disciples around Him and preach one of the greatest discourses that we ever know of, known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is still preaching even to this day. We read in the Gospel of John that that, that Jesus at the grave of Lazarus lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard Me. And I knew that Thou hearest Me always. But because the people which stand by I said it, um, that, that they may believe that Thou hast sent Me. We read in John twelve twenty seven that our Lord prayed to the Father. I think this is one of the saddest chapters in the whole Bible. 
He was about to leave the Jewish nation to make an atonement for the sin of the world. And this is what he said. Now, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I come, came I unto this hour. We read in John chapter number 17, his prayer for God's people, his prayer for the church, his prayer for unity, his prayer that the the gospel would essentially go to the nations as a result of the love that we have uh, one for another. And we look around and we wonder, why in the world are we here this morning? You know? Like we're here, nations removed, generations removed, millennia removed, and this this supposed um, uh, rabbi, great teacher of days gone by, um, was a simple man, a rebel against the nation of Israel, was murdered, and people want to cast him off, yet here we are. Why? Like this is a miracle in and of itself. Like this is miraculous. This doesn't happen just by happenstance. This isn't um, something that, 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 that you know... Any other religion can can essentially measure up to um, the, the the longevity and and I have to think that it's, it's in part, if not all, because of Christ's prayer. That 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 prayer in the Old Testament, that prayer in the New Testament, um, is is a a unique gift of God to the people of God who grip it totally by faith and receive the promises that God has ordained. Um, as they seek the will of God for their life. You know, and I read that, that great list. And again, this may just be uh, for you that have been here on Wednesday nights, just beating a dead horse. And maybe it is. And maybe it's a horse I need to beat. Maybe for my own heart and maybe for my own life, you know. Um, as I read the catalog of great things that God has done, I look at my own life and I look at the life of this church and I think, is there any way to explain this thing away? Or is this something that man could have done of his own strength and intellect? Because men are doing that all day long, every day. You know? I mean, they're starting new churches, they're starting new religions, they're doing, they're building great businesses, they're doing a hundred things that you look at, man, you just want to pat them on the back. I don't want to pat on the back. You know? Like, I want to be able to be a part of something that you look at it um, according to Scripture and you say, God did that. There's no other way in the world that that could have been done except God did that. That's what you see. That's when the world takes note. That's when the world look at, look, looks within the body of Christ and they, and they see things that, that only God could do. And we make many boasts and we, we lift up our God and we talk about His character and we talk about His nature. We talk about His holiness, His righteousness, His, judge, His, His justice. We talk about His, His, His grace and His mercy and His compassion. And we boast heavily upon Him and God gives us uh, prayers and desires and we run after them and we pursue them in Christ and when He gives, we have the right to boast in the Lord and praise Him because of the, the, the deliverance or the, the building or the, the doing and the this and the that and, and all the things that God has done. And we still do that to this day. We look at the Scriptures and that's what we do. <laughs> you know, We boast in the Lord and Abraham this morning in Sunday school. You know, we boast in what God did in Sarah's life. We looked at the promise and we said it was impossible it was so impossible. They laughed about it. You shouldn't be having a child. I'm in my 90s. But they had faith in God. You know? And even when they don't, God, 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 God comes and he, and he fulfills promises that are unilateral. And we look and we say, man, what a mighty God. And I look in my own life and I look in the life of the church and I look in the life of churches all throughout our land and throughout the world and throughout history. And it's not to be judgmental. It's just truly to examine our own hearts and to examine my heart and ask the question, you know, am I, am I laboring in my own strength? Am I building my own kingdom? Or is this something unexplainable? You know, that only God could do. And I see in my own life so much of that. Do you? 
And I see that in the church in a lot of different areas. Do you? You know? And as we move forward as a congregation, will God give us certain things that we can cling to? And will we truly believe that whenever we come to our God in prayer, on our knees or in our heart or in our mind, and we come to Him, that He is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of Elijah. I love that, um, that, that, that portion of Scripture in James chapter number 5 where he says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he goes on to speak of Elijah who we often elevate to this supernatural status and like these are men that are other than us and, and sure God did things in their lives that was unexplainable, but not us. As if God is different and His character has changed and that His power is lessened or His purpose is, is different. And James reminds us that Elijah was just a man like us with passions like us, with affections like us. He's a guy who got under a juniper tree you know, and uh, asked God to kill him and take him home. I mean, he was suicidal. Um, after Mount Carmel, you know? And you see him on a mountaintop one day and you see him down the next. Like he was a man just like us. Paul and Silas, Barnabas, they're just men like us. They have affections like us. They have struggles like us. They, they bow with faith uh, like us. You know, we, we, they war with the flesh just like us. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily that, that, that all those things are, are, are open to us, but I am going to tell you that, that prayer is and that impossible things are. And that the church is given the opportunity um, if they know and understand the will of God to pursue God in such a way that they can expect great things from Him. And not just great things, impossible things. The men, men do great things. God does the impossible. And the text tells us here that Christ's Bible church is in the midst of the body of Christ such that those privileges and promises are still available to us as well. A reminiscent passage is in 1 John chapter number 5. And you read these words. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. Who in Christ. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. You know, if you've ever done any sort of evangelism or, or uh, soul winning, uh, we, we love that verse in 1 John 5.13, don't we? And now these things I have written to you, he says, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I mean, how tragic is it to have a, a young one, a, a child or a, a believer? I don't know how many people have asked that question. You know, do you have assurance of your salvation? You know, and, um, and we go. We take them to this verse and we say, if these things I've written to you, believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We think about how the tragedy of a Christian who struggles with um, the assurance of his salvation and probably all of us, if not most of us, who are grounded in the Word at all or have understood this verse or been saved for any length of time would, would think, man, what a, what a tragedy to see that the text before you secures, shows you securing Christ and how you can live how much of a tragedy it is to live day to day wondering if you're in the love of God, wondering if, in your Christ, if you're in Christ. And that you bring them to this text and you try to assure them that, 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 that if you're in Christ and if you're believing that, that God um, has saved you and that's for eternity and, and that you're secure in Christ and that you're to persevere and to press on towards God. And that's why I gave you these things so you would know that. Um, and I pray that you have that this morning. But I pray even more than that, that not only do you know, 
that you have eternal life, but that you also know that you have a God that hears you. You know, if I were to ask this question this morning, do you have assurance that God hears your prayers? You know, what would you say? You know, um, what would you say to a Christian who says, I've asked this question to people. Do you think, do you, do you know you're saved? Are you saved? And they say, I hope so. You say, what a tragedy, man. You could know. But how many of us get down on our knees and we pray and we get up and we say, and we treat it like a birthday wish. If I tell you, it won't work, you know? And, um, and you say, what'd you pray for? You really believe God can do that? And you just say, I hope so. I hope so. What a tragedy. To have this promise before us and never to go to God with anything that we're assured of that He will hear us. That it is in Revelation chapter number 8 to believe that our prayers don't make it to the altar of God. That it's not, it's not, um, it's not brought to His forefront. And when that is one of the reasons and one of the great benefits of Christ's suffering and death upon the cross that the veil would be rent, that His body was broken, His blood was shed so that we could come before the throne of God above. That He goes before us so that we can come after and that that part of salvation and having um, assurance in it is also assurance that day to day and week to week and year to year, as long as we we are in Christ that as much as we can have confidence um, that we are saved and secure in Him and that's to pursue after Him that we too can have assurance that when we pray God hears us and that when we ask anything according to His name and according to His will um, that, that He will give us the petitions that we have asked of Him that's exactly what it says in 1 John chapter number 5 and verse number 15 that the ministry of prayer in the individual and in the church life is indispensable got to talk with a pastor this week and ask him about his prayer meetings and how it went practically and immediately he stopped me and said son first of all i need to tell you that it's an indispensable part of any true church that the people of god would gather together and pray if not you're building your own kingdom son and you need to stop you know and the same with us as individuals, the same with us as a church, that, 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 that the church is to embrace the means of grace that He has provided through going to Him in prayer. In prayer. Um, Chrysostom writes these words concerning prayer. Prayer is an all-efficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mind never exhausted, a sky unobstructed by clouds a haven unruffled by storm. It is the root, the fountain, and the mother of a thousand blessings. It exceeds a monarch's power. I speak not of prayer which is cold and feeble and devoid of zeal. I speak of that which proceeds from a mind outstretched, a child of a contrite spirit, the offspring of a soul converted. This is the prayer which mounts to heaven. The, prayer has sub this, the, the power of prayer has subdued the strength of fire, bridled the rage of lions, silenced anarchy, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, enlarged the gates of heaven, relieved diseases, averted frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of a thunderbolt. In some, prayer has the power to destroy whatever is in enmity with good. I speak not of the prayer of the lips, but of the prayer that ascends from the inmost recesses of the heart. Say, I'm not much for prayer. You forfeit one of the greatest blessings um, that Jesus Christ died for. Prayerlessness is a plague upon the church and upon us as individuals. It's a plague because... Um, it's unbelief and self-reliance by another name. 
Um, it's total dependence upon self and not dependence upon God. That's what prayerlessness reveals. And in one sense, a true state of prayerlessness is an oxymoron for a Christian, isn't it? It's a contradiction in terms that those people don't really exist. You know, prayerlessness for the Christian is um, different. Um, you know, a Christian that doesn't pray at all or has never prayed is not a Christian at all. It's like saying a, it's, it's a person that's never breathed. Um, but prayerlessness is an issue for the Christian. And that's not to, to pick on anyone this morning necessarily, but to ask us to examine our own hearts. When we examine our own hearts, um, I think we have to come to the conclusion that at some point in our lives we're all prayerless. Meaning we struggle with prayer. Meaning we don't pray enough. Meaning that we are self-sufficient and self-reliant and, and not dependent upon our, our Lord. And what I don't want to do this morning is this, okay? I don't want to preach a sermon on uh, prayerlessness and throw out statistics like studies show that the average Christian only prays less than two minutes a day. And you'd feel guilty about that and think, I should go home and pray more. So I'm going to pray ten minutes, you know, which is five-fold, which seems like a good thing. What I'm not asking for inherently is more prayer. That seems like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? And maybe it is. Maybe it is. But the danger of this is, is for you to go home and in your self-reliance and in your um, independence from God and your dependence upon self is to think that you can muster up and be more faithful and produce something in you that only God can produce. And what that cultivates is Pharisees. What that cultivates is hypocrites who stand in the streets with their many words and their vain repetition and pat each other on the back at the end of the day because um, they did great things before men and they did great things before God. That really what we're going to advocate this for this morning um, is the activity of God in the life to produce faith and such that it um, produces more of a desire in you to pray. That's what I want. I don't want more prayer in length. I want more prayer that's actually prayer in my life. You know, and what you see throughout the scriptures, and we, and oftentimes we can get up here, and this is a danger to want to sound eloquent, want to sound great, and want to sound uh, knowledgeable, and get up and offer long and eloquent prayers. Um, but what you read in the scriptures are prayers of brevity. What you read are prayers that are real. What you read are, are men who get down and they get to the point. And I'm not arguing against long prayers. Sometimes it's needed. I'm just arguing for real prayers. You give me a prayer that's two minutes, that's real before a holy God, and, I, and that'll, that'll account for more than a lifelong of hours and days in prayer. Nights spent fasting and in prayer. Um, when it's done at the, for the accolades of men to heap upon ourselves worldly treasures um, instead of seeking to lay up eternal treasures in God out of true and honest faith. That the text before us in Mark chapter number 11 brings the great obstacle of the kingdom of God before us, doesn't it? You may look at the text and you say, it's the mountain. But it's not the mountain, is it? It's not Rome. It's not the world. It's not pagans. It's not idolatry. It's not Israel. It's not the, the religious elite. Or in some sense, it is. But in another sense, it's not. Perhaps the biggest obstacle Standing in the path of the church and the advance of God's kingdom today are not the mountains. It's not out there what's on the horizon. But it's what's within us. When we underestimate the power of faith-filled prayer, 
We leave those mountains standing um, before us, never to be tackled, never to go past, never to do, never to, to, to labor for God, never to be retired into the Dead Sea, never to move forward. Um, that Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue, and that is the heart of the disciples. And this morning, when we come to the heart of the issue, we must come to the heart of the disciples. That the issue is not out there. You know? Like we look at America and we think about the world and we look at the president and we want to blame everybody for everything and the, the, why, why, why America and the world's going to hell in a handbasket. There's mountain after mountain after mountain and there's a, there's a hundred things, a thousand things that we can delineate. Let me tell you, it's all it's wrong. Rome was wrong. The, the Jewish elite, the religious elite were wrong. Like in those places have their conversations. But the, but the, but the point of Jesus Christ here this morning um, is that that, that, that those mountains still stand, that things are still in your life, difficulties are still there um, and will not be removed because of the lack of faith in, in our lives. But that's where we must begin. We must begin. That's why he says in Mark chapter number 11 and verse number 22, men have faith in God. Women have faith in God. You know, like you, you look at that thing and you see what happened to it. But know this, as we talked about last week, um, Jesus in, in human flesh offers them something that he accomplishes, that he by the spirit of God and by the power of God um, wrought a miracle and uh, removed a fig tree. And essentially uh, the idea is parallel with the mountain. And he says, like, if you have faith in God, then you can do that. Like that's yours. First John chapter number five, you ask anything according to my will, according to my name, and it's yours. And that seems impossible. You know why it does? Because it is. Like that is an impossibility, but it's made possible to us in Christ. Um, I want to take you to first Samuel chapter number 12 for just a moment. You don't have to turn there, but um, I pray that you'll, you'll listen well. That, 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 that true prayer is born out of faith in God. Um, and that's, it's a command. It's a command there. Um, it, it's, it's not a suggestion. It's not like some Christians um, are to have faith and some are not, and that's okay. And that if you're just not um, a, a, you know, a bold and a courageous Christian, that, that you can be nominal and that's fine. You're still secure in Christ. And, like, and that's, that's probably technically true. We're all on different levels, but, 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 but the goal of, of, of all of Christianity secured by Christ in his, the death of His Son was to break down the partition between us and Him and to bring uh, the dwelling place of God into our hearts such that we commune with him in a meaningful way and that our wills are conformed to his will um, and, and that's what we need to argue this morning because maybe what you're thinking is this um, like we can we can save america you know if we just had enough faith and maybe that's true i don't know you know i don't know um, but that's a dangerous doctrine to have as well this is so hard to balance guys what you're going to find is a health, wealth, a prosperity gospel, a word of mouth movement that tells you that exact same thing and rips it out of context of the will of God. And you and, and what you have is when rightly understood is the power of God at your hand. Um, but at the same time, what you have is the opportunity to just destroy hearts and lives. Because and, and what we have in, in, in Christianity today, um, in some sense, is, is 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 this idea that we can just unlock prayer. You know, that there's just one thing. And we, we go to certain texts and we think, man, this is the key. Like if I just persevere all night in prayer like the importunate widow, you know, like if I just persevere, here's the problem. People have persevered in prayer for days and weeks. That's not enough to be fervent. It's not enough to have a sincere desire. 
And the world is filled with people with sincerity um, that, that God doesn't hear or answer their prayers. Hell is filled with people like that and so is heaven. The, the ultimate goal here is not to get our will done on earth. It's to get God's will done um, in heaven here on earth. It is to conform our will such to His will that, that, that we can cling to the promises of God and go after those in such a way um, that we can take full assurance that He hears and answers our prayers because it's His will and not ours. Those are the ones we cling to. Those are the ones as we delight ourselves in Him. He gives us the desires of our heart. Psalm chapter uh, 34 or 37. I may have got that, that wrong. But first seven, I want to kind of give you the, the, the ground, the, the, the foundation of, of prayer. First Samuel chapter number 12. And this may seem like an obscure text, and maybe that's because it is. Um, but what you find is Samuel's interaction um, with, um, with the people of, of Israel. And you read these words, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil asking a king for ourselves. It's interesting that they go to Samuel. They went tried to go by themselves earlier, but now they go to Samuel. And do not turn aside, he says, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, verse 20. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for um, then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the, for the Lord will not forsake His people. For his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. He says, if he's gonna, you know, if he's not going to kill you, like he saved you. Um, so uh, essentially, he's doing it for his namesake and not yours. It's not the. Uh, I'm not praying for you to to save you. But God won't do that. And if he doesn't, if he saves you, it's because of his mercy and his grace. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Essentially, Samuel says, look, I'm going to pray for you. If you don't die, it's because God's good, but I will pray for you um, because, essentially because I don't want to sin against God. Um. You're secondary. He didn't say, I'm going to pray for you so you won't die. He said, I'm going to pray for you because I know and love God. Do we see the contrast in their attitude towards prayer and Samuel's attitude towards prayer? What was their prayer? Lord, don't kill us. It was selfish. It was desirous. It was total self-reliance. God was nothing more than a genie in a bottle to check off the list and to keep them um, from dying. And they clung to the promises of God for all the wrong reasons. They clung to the, par the promises of God um, for, for selfish um, glory and gain, for greed and idolatry, so that they could secure their own life, so they could be happy and live life as they so desired. And Samuel says, I'm not going to God like that. You know? God, God lives for Himself. God, God serves Himself. Um, God meets His own needs. And if, and if, he, if, he, if he saves you, He saves you for His own sake. And, and, and when I go, I'm going for this reason. I'm going because I love God. And that's not to, to diminish the love that He had for the people. And I believe that the people of God have such a love for the people. But I believe it's because God's love. Um, theirs was selfish. Samuel's was God glorifying. Um, it was born out of a, a faith in God. 
Um, it was born out of true faith, not just believing in a sense and, and being uh, sincere and convinced of something um, just um, haphazardly. He believed in God. If you were to go to Hebrews chapter number 11, um, in that great hall of faith, um, you would read in verse number 6 that um, there's, there's nothing that you can do outside of faith that pleases God. He says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That, that faith is a believing that God is something. And that God is who that God says that He is. In, in, a, in, a, in a most basic sense. That's how Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. He says, pray like this, in this manner, a Father which art in heaven. There's this reality about God and, and that the essence of faith begins in Him and a belief of the existence of God. And that what flows from that of His character and nature is the conclusion that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. That, that, that prayerlessness, first and foremost, is not about looking at the church and thinking, man, we could have more. Okay? Like we need to say that. It's not about looking at us and thinking about all of the benefits that we have lost. I mean, it's not about thinking, man, if, I, if we would have only prayed for the last year or two years or five years or you know, the six years that we've been in existence, man, where would we be other than the, today? The great tragedy of, of a prayerless life is not going to God because they have who He is. It's not acknowledging Him for all of His character and all of His nature. It's not coming to Him like a father. Have you ever met a person or a couple or a family that's just broken apart? And you think, man, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Like I, my father, I can tell you, I probably saw him from the age of four. I can count on two hands how many times I saw him. You know what? I don't look back and say, man, I wish I would have had, had a bigger house. I wish I would have had um, you know, more stuff. I wish I would have had more of an opportunity to go to college. I wish my dad would have worked. I wish I would have done this. I wish he would have done that. You know what the great tragedy is, is I was never with him. You know? Like that thing that he was and that thing that God made me and this relationship, the tragedy was, is like that was broken. Like there was no communion. You know, I don't know who my father was. Like I could tell you what he looks like and I could point him out in a crowd, but I don't know him. And he didn't know me. You know? And he didn't know any of my other family. You know, five children there, four, four children there that were his. You know, we were the product of, 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 of a mother and a father who loved one another, a husband and a wife at one time, but something along the way like broke that down. And I don't look back and think, man, like we, should, we, we could have had a mansion and we could have had this and we could have had that. I, I, I could have had a father, right? Like that's the tragedy. And he could have had a son. The, the great tragedy of prayer's life is the fact that he's a father and we're children. I mean, it's not in the, the fact it's not in the things that we could have done and all the all the all the all the pomp and circumstance and all the accolades and, and all the rewards that we could have had in here in, 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 in on earth. The great reward is him. Like he's the reward. Like we're his reward. And and he's our reward. And like that's the great sin. Samuel says, I will go to him. Um, because I, I do not want to sin against the holy God. That's what brings me there. Like I love you. But know this, that there's something about prayer that is so significant that it defines that relationship between me and Him. And that's why Jesus says, um, in some sense, to go to Him like this because He's your Father. 
And the great tragedy of the church and the great tragedy of most of our Christian lives is that that we spend all of our lives wrestling around with ourselves and struggling through life like when He's he's there and and His Son died so that He could be here and He could be in you and He could be overwhelmingly um, loving you and and, and you can feel His presence and your your hearts are bound together um, in some capacity. some capacity such that your wheels are, are, are coming together as one, not walking in two different directions. Um, that, that's when true unity is born. That's the great sin of a prayerless life. And you're to have faith in God, not in what God can do. You know, you're to have faith in Him, in His character, in His nature, in His attributes. You're to believe in Him. You're to run to Him. You're not to go to Him for selfish desires. Isn't it amazing how the same prayer could be prayed, God save them. And God answers one, but He doesn't answer another. You know? Thus He says, have faith in, in God. As this is who God is. God is a, a communicating God. God is a relational God. You know, Jesus Christ enters into the world not only to secure your salvation for all eternity, but to break down the barrier between God and man which was put up in the Garden of Eden and wrought in your heart in our rebellion. That Jesus died so that He could commune with you. And the great sin of a prayerless life is just that. That Jesus Christ today on many accounts in our own lives will not receive the reward of His suffering, which is a broken veil and unbridled communication with me and with you. Um... So have faith in God. Look to God. Run to God. Find Him this morning. And that's the great tragedy. Or that's the great paradox, isn't it? I think 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 speaks about strongholds in our lives. And we're to break those down. Right? And he, and he, and he contrasts fleshly weapons with spiritual weapons. And fleshly warfare with spiritual warfare. And the only way that you break down strongholds is with spiritual warfare. And I think... A lot of times in our lives, that's a strong prayerlessness is a great stronghold that must be broken down. But herein lies the paradox, you know, that the answer to a prayerless life in some sense is prayer, isn't it? You know, it's a cry out to God in faith. It's 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 coming under the means that God has provided. It's coming to the word of God. It's um, sitting under the teaching of God's word. It's 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 it's. it's the answer oftentimes is placing ourselves under the means of grace that He's provided so that He can actively at work in us. It's, it's, it's essentially abiding in Christ. John chapter number 15 um, teaches us just that. Right? I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me and does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, it, um, He prunes that He may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, he says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Is this really is kicking back to Mark chapter number 10, the fruit and the vine, the tree? I am the vine, he says. You are the branches. He who abides in me and, and, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, catch this, you will ask it, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. See, this isn't about you. But this isn't about me. That you, he says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
so you will be my disciples. And as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. How? By abiding in the Word. And as you abide in the Word, the life of God um, flows through you into this branch such that the branch bears fruit, but it's only because the life of God is flowing through the branch. And that when that fruit comes, your Father in heaven is glorified. Like the fruit is otherworldly, it's not here. This is the point. Um, that, 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 that as we commune with God and God communes with us and He speaks to us and we speak to Him. And this life of God flows through us to produce things in this life that we do not and could not ever happen um, without Him. Without Him. But this is God's promise. It's a promise to you. It's His promise to me. I think it's Proverbs 15, verse number 8 that says that He has pleasure in the prayers of His people. That not only is it a promise, it's God's great pleasure that He is pleased in His Son, that His Son dies for the salvation of the people of God, for the nations. And when they come to Him, they come to Him essentially by that. And why is it that we think that that initial prayer and cry to God is enough to secure us salvation for all the world, for, for all the world and all eternity? Yet, we look back on our prayer lives and we wonder if God ever heard one of them. Or we get into a habit of becoming fatalistic and even cynical and attach at the end of it, Lord, if Your will be done. That sounds spiritual too because Christ did it once. You know, Lord, I, would You do this and would You do that, Lord? But if not, and I understand that and I, I relate to that and I sympathize with that and I pray like that a lot. But in another sense, I think that's not how most of the prayers in all the Bible are prayed. They're prayed with faith because they're so secure in Christ and they understand the will of God that they go by faith. And that's what he says in Mark chapter number uh, 10 that there's an, or 11, there's an expectancy, right? He says, For I assure that I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be removed and be cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, there's no wavering. James chapter 1 says that, that if, you, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, but, but you have to ask in faith without wavering, without doubting like a man who's tossed on a, a sea to and fro. And we do that in our prayers. We do that in our prayers in a spiritual way because it, because it seems spiritual. And we pray for something not really believing God can do it. And, then, and, then, and we know that because at the end we say, Lord, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. And what ends up happening is that over time we become somewhat cynical and fatalistic to where we think, God, I don't even really have to pray at all. Like, and I wouldn't say that, and you probably wouldn't say that, but we wonder. But the sovereignty of God and, and His will, like God will He'll do what He wants to do. And that's why I pray at all. Well, Jesus answers that question. And I need to answer that question maybe for myself this morning, and maybe all of you understand that. That yes, God is sovereign, and yes, God is loving, and yes, God is actively engaged in, in our lives. And He'll do essentially what He wants to do, and it's planned to end from the beginning. But one of the means that He uses in our lives to accomplish His end is prayer. And I will, can faithfully say and fervently say as I preach to my own heart this morning that we can say without a doubt that we have not because we ask not. And that we have not because we ask amiss to consume it upon our own lust. And that had we prayed with full faith, saying that this mountain be moved without doubt, expecting God as if it was already done is what the text says. That we would have it. And that you don't have it simply because God didn't determine for you to have it. You don't have it because you didn't ask or you asked amiss. Because of selfishness and self-reliance. Either you didn't go to Him or you went to Him inappropriately. 
And that's the text, right? But believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Give me five more minutes. I know it's 12 o'clock. But this is a huge issue in the church. Not our church necessarily, but maybe it is. Maybe it's just as an individual, you know? Um, maybe just as an individual. That the very environment in which prayers to answer are cultivated is an environment of faith. It doesn't exist outside that. Faith in God, who He is, according to His nature and His character, and as our will is conformed to His will, as we live in the Spirit and we work and operate in the Spirit, um, God blesses. He changes our desires and, and our will uh, molds to His will. I think it's Isaiah chapter 40. You know that great verse where He says um, He will renew your strength and, and, and then it, He commands us to wait on Him. You know, that term wait, it literally means to bind together, to twist, um, to put together. That's what it is. You get strength, and, and God, you commune with Him as He binds you together. It's, it's like, again, John 15, this binding of a branch into a live vine, and that life flows from it as we bind ourselves with God. He changes, our wills are conformed, and we pursue Him and His will. We read the Word of God, and it conforms our minds, and we begin to know what the will of God is. You know, you say, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I do. Um, God tells us in His Word. You know what he says? He says it's uh, His will that all men be saved. You know? That it's God's will that you be saved. That if you're not saved, you need to be saved. You know what Paul says? This is uh, His will, even sanctification. That you would be like Him. This is His will, Peter tells us, um, that you would suffer for His name's sake. If there's all sorts of, of, the will of, of, of plans of the will of God throughout the life of the Scriptures, and that your will is to conform to His will, that you were to be like Him, you were to, you're, you're to sacrifice self and, and to take up your cross and follow Jesus, you are to be His disciple, you are to be conformed to His very image, that these are the things that are His will. And we pursue um, sanctification in a way where we try to just by our arms just push through the, the lust, push through the pornography, push through the bitterness, push through the unforgiveness. You know, and we... We go day after day after day and we wonder, Lord, why in the world have you not answered that prayer? Is that not a prayer answer to prayer that he would desire? You ever think about that? You know? I know what you're thinking. What's the will of my God, God for my life? Where should I move? Where should I live? You know, what should, career should I have? Who should I marry? These things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the will of God revealed to us in Scripture. That Jesus Christ died and you were baptized with him and raised to walk in newness of life. And that you're to mortify the sins in your life and you're to live after Him and be conformed to His image. And um, those are the things that I think we can go and say, God, you want me to be over this? Then I'm coming with faith. Break down that stronghold. This would honor you. It wouldn't glorify me. It would glorify you. It wouldn't glorify the world. It would glorify you. But oftentimes our prayers are hindered um, because of the life we lead. We're like the nation of Israel in Samuel's day who comes and prays a prayer and all sorts of wickedness are still just running wild and we just can't figure out why in the world it is that God won't answer our prayers. Well, it tells us there. Verse number 24, therefore I say to you, or 25, whenever you pray standing, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Go to him. Time, you know, the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
We often put the emphasis there on the fervency, but the original uh, takes the best that we can tell is, and you may find a translation if you go on your Bible app and you look at all the different translations, the, the emphasis there is on a righteous man. You know, that it's on a man who lives a life of faith and, and born out of that faith is a, a, a desire to, to, to live a righteous life in conformity to God's will. That the first step in having your prayers answered is coming and confessing to a holy God um, that you are not right with Him. That's how we are initially saved and that's how we are initially restored and renewed um, and, and the joy of our salvation is restored and we begin to walk. There's a type of man that, that, that the prayers of God's or that the, God, the, the blessing of God of, of answered prayer dwells upon. And there's a, there's, there's a man that it doesn't. You know? Um, that righteousness is a necessity. So nobody's perfect. I know that. We're not talking about a perfect man. But we're talking a man and just talking about a man in pursuit of the Lord. We're talking about a man that lives, or a woman that lives in the Word of God, day in and day out, and just delights in communion with Him. We're talking about a man or a woman who sees impurities in their life, and while they're there, um, they cry out to God to remove those in faith. We're talking about a, a man who, or a woman who desires to walk after the Lord. The psalmist tells us that there's a certain type of man or a woman that ascends to the holy hill and it's one with a clean hand and a pure heart. And, and while ultimate purity will never happen in this life, um, there is a, a, a man and a woman that God blesses that pursues Him in prayer, um, knowing the will of God without wavering, without doubt, with a full effect of faith who's cared for all sorts of things in their life to make sure that they're right with God and others. Right? We don't have time to go there, but a great example is 1 Peter chapter number 3, and I think it's verse number 8, where he tells men to be understanding with their wives and to live in union with them. And he says these words so that your prayers may not be hindered. But there is a lifestyle that hinders the prayers of God's people. Um, there are things that are harbored in our lives and sins and pet, um, pet uh, sins that we love and we think, I don't know what we think. <laughs> we make all sorts of excuses just to keep the pests in our life, you know? Like, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. God understands. He's love. He's grace. He's this. He's that. I don't know. I find a hundred reasons to keep the things that I love. Um, but there's one good reason to give it all. Jesus died for that. You know, and he died for your loved one. He died for your friend. He died for your church member that you're harboring bitterness or unforgiveness towards. You know, and what is it in Luke? It says, you know, bring your offering before you ever bring your offering. You know what you need to do? You need to go get right with that brother if he's offended you. That the relationships that we have, whenever sin is harbored and unforgiven and bitterness and a whole host of other sins are just unbridled or unattended to, um, those are the type of prayers that that God doesn't answer. Um, so it's, it's, it's prayers. The blessing of God is, is upon a man or a woman who, who is living in a full environment of, of faith. But in that full environment of faith, it is exercised in a pursuit of Christ in daily life, pursuing unity with one another. Um, and that was Jesus' prayer. That God doesn't bless the prayer life of a man or a woman with unbridled or unrepentant sin. You know, Isaiah 59 tells us that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 10, that he hates those prayers. Proverbs 28, verse 9, He that turneth away his ear from the hearing of the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. 
Psalm chapter 139, 23 and 20. Search me, O God, the psalmist says, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what do we do? We do that this morning. We look at ourselves and we examine our hearts. We don't look at others. We don't look at the church. We don't lay blame. You know, man, if, if he would just do this, and man, if she would just do that, you know, I mean, we'd just we'd work all this out, and things would be better. No, 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 no. Like this morning is search me, O God, and know my heart. Father, teach me to know my own thoughts as you know them, and see if there's anything in me, Father, that has broken that fellowship with you, with you. First thing, maybe we should just ask that question: Are you secure in your salvation? Are you assured that Christ has died for your sins and that Jesus Christ, or that John wrote those words just for you? You know, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that this morning? Then do you know the immediate next verse? That part of that salvation was that Jesus Christ died to secure not only your eternal state, but this present state that you would continually pursue Him all throughout your life, particularly in prayer, knowing that when your prayers go up, God hears. You say, well, for the last month or year or two years, it's just like there's a brass bubble over me and I, I don't know if I've communed with God once. This is your prayer then. All right? And I'm not the type of guy that usually says, repeat this prayer after me. You've probably never heard me say that. But if you can pray in the spirit of this prayer, God will answer. And if you can cry out to Him this morning, you say, again, what's the, what's, the, what's the solution to my prayerlessness? It's amazing. It's prayer. It's a cry unto a holy God recognizing your, your imperfections and your insufficiency and that you are to be totally sufficient on Him. It's, a, it's an abandonment of self-exaltation and self-reliance and total dependence upon self and others and building of your own kingdom. Um, and the only way that that happens is to put your heart in front of the law of liberty and, and the perfect law and, and, to, and to ask God and to be real with God and to run to God and say, oh, this is like I, I don't know who I am, but you know who I am. Father, teach me who I am. And if there's any impurity in me, Lord, show me. God, there's caves and crevices this morning. I don't even know where they're. God, bring light to it by the Word of God. God, to divide even asunder my, my soul and spirit, Father, rip me apart on the inside out. If you will, if, if only you will rebuild me and make me new, Father. If you'll create in me a clean heart, O oh God. I gave that to the, the 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 prayer meeting a few nights ago or a few weeks ago, and I just love that prayer of David in Psalm twenty or in Psalm fifty one. God, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. It's the same word that's used in the beginning of the worlds. It's the same word that we, that we marvel at when we walk out into the world and we, we drive here on, uh, uh, to, to, on the Lord's Day and we see the beauty of the heavens and the earth. Uh, this morning, I, I was driving down the road and I saw a fox just run across the, the yard like in daylight. And I, first of all, I'm worried about my chickens. Second of all, I'm like, man, what a beautiful creature. You know, like God spoke that into existence ages ago. Like He did the unthinkable and things that men are trying to do today that cannot even hold a candle to what God did ages ago. But, but David cries out in, 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 in just utter dismay at his own state. And he says, Lord, create in me a, a, a new heart, O God. Like what you did with Adam and creating that and all. But do that in me because I can't. Father, create a, a new woman in me. Father, do something in me that's impossible. That's what we're asking for this morning, right? That's it. You know? and I'm not asking for great faith. God's not asking for great faith. 
If you read that passage in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, about the other mountains, you know what he says? If you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. You know? We're not asking for great faith this morning. We're just asking for little faith in a big God. In the object of Christ. That's where your faith must be. And you must run to Him. And you must cry out to Him. And a great prayer would be that. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do in me greater things than you did in all the world. The stars that are in the sky, that fox that ran by this morning, the grass that grows, the beauty of the tomatoes in my garden as they touch my tongue. Father, the, 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 the immeasurable beauty of the wife that you put before me and my children. God, do something even greater than that in me this morning. Father, I have come to the end of myself. God, I don't know what I'm doing. Father, I don't know where else to go. I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I'm sinful, Father, and I see the grace of God and I see it poured out in measure. Father, I'm believing in that this morning. Like that's what we need. Like and, and God answers those types of prayers if it's born out of a genuine heart. And that's what He says. Anybody that'll call upon My name and believe it in their heart that He will save them. But listen, friends, you never stop praying those prayers. Not for salvation, but for but 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 for help and healing and purification and in total dependency upon the Lord. You know, and if God could save us, again I quote this phrase all the time. I want to quote it again this morning. Romans chapter eight. If he gave us not, if he, if he who gave us his only son, how shall he not freely give us all things? Like if you can be secure in Christ in 1 John chapter 5, 13, that he saved you, why in the world do we not think that he can do more in this life? He said he would give us that. And if he gave us that, you'll look at that, the greater to the lesser. You know? Like that's the greater thing. Christ is the greater thing. Like he's it. He's, 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 he's the world and everything that's in it. Like he pleasures more. Like he's everything. Then why wouldn't he build this church? Why wouldn't he bless our families? Why wouldn't he make godly men? Why wouldn't he raise up elders? Why wouldn't he put up deacons? Like, like all that was for this. Like if he'll give us that, his son, he'll give us this. And if you can believe that, then believe this, friends. Believe this. And pursue it by faith without doubting. Believe not only 1 John 5.13, believe 1 John 5.14 and 15. But don't believe it for yourselves. Don't pray like Israel. God, save us because we don't want to die. Father, save us that Your glory may be manifested in all the world. God, bear fruit, John 15. Help me to abide in You. Bind my heart to Your heart um, such that, Father, they'll glorify our Father which is in heaven. God, plant this light upon a city and uh, they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Pray prayers like that. Father, make my family like that. God, give me love like that for my wife. Father, give my wife love for me like that. God, save my children. Father, do that in this life. Give us love for the community like that. But that's what I'm going to be praying. And that's what I encourage you to come together on Wednesday night so we can gather together as a people and pray things like that. And we gather together in unity. Pray that on your own, but let's come together and pray like that as a church. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Not so that we can have more things or bigger facilities or more ministries. But so in those things, we can have more of Christ. That's why we minister. That's it. That's it. I have no other goal. I have no other end. This church lives moves and breathes because of Christ. And if I find any other thing that we're living for, we either kill it or I'm done. I will not labor for myself. 
will not labor to build any other kingdom. We need more of Christ. And the channel and the means of grace to accomplish that is the Word of God, Him speaking to us, and prayer, us speaking to Him, our hearts being bound together such that we can go with confidence in prayer and praising God whenever He comes through and telling all the world about it and seeing our children saved as Christ has manifested to them in so many ways. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and thank You for the glories of Your Son. Father, we lift up with outcast hands praise unto Your holy name for who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is. Father, we thank You for the tremendous plan of redemption. Father, we thank You for the willingness and the devotion of Your Son to humble Himself to think it not equality to be, or to think it not robbery to be equal with God, but humble Himself as a servant, Father, and just that power of the Spirit, that indwelling Lord, that comfort of the soul to know that You're with us, Father, and that even when we don't know how to pray, Father, You pray for us and You come alongside us, Father, You fill us with Your Spirit, and um, He teaches us all things. God, I pray that um, uh, the, the people, uh, myself, Father, maybe there's somebody here who's convicted over their prayer life. I know that I am. Father, in just my utter lack of um, neglect of You, Father, to think about my own father earlier and almost to paint a horrible picture of him that wasn't the goal. Oh, how I failed him as a son. Father, how I failed You as a son. You've been so good. You've been so gracious. You've been so loving. You've been so holy. You've been so right all along the way, Father. God, give me faith in God. Give me faith in You. Father, would You birth in me just a desire to pray because many days it's hard. Create in me a new heart, Father, because I don't know what else to do. I don't want to go home and feel better about myself just because I prayed a little more today. God, I want to I want to feel secure in Christ and because I've communed with Him. Even if it's only two minutes, God, give me two minutes. Give me two minutes a day, Father, alone with You and cultivate that Father all the more. Father, and give us the fruit of our prayers so that You may be glorified, Father. Um, not so that the church can grow in number, not so, Father, that the church can find a new building and and have a multiplicity of ministries, Father. Men, Pharisees are doing that all day, every day. God, if that's the case, if that's us, Lord, pluck up the tree, the barren tree. But if it's not, Father, give us gas, give us fuel for the fire, give us spirit power, empowered, spirit wrought um, prayer. Father, and just a desire for the Word such that it is like honey coming out of the honeycomb and sweet to the taste. <laughs> Father, we need some more gold and silver found and treasures in this book, Father, because we need some gold, silver, and precious stones to lay up for You. God, give us treasures in heaven. Father, give us a hearts and hearts of prayer. Father, we just want to commune with You more. And I don't know what all that means, um, but I know it means something. And I know that you'll teach us that when we get there, not only as individuals, but as a church. Father, we need to believe you, not for great things, but impossible things, so that we can just praise you and praise you in front of the world. 
God, when that day comes. So, Father, direct our prayers according to the will of God such that you give us a great confidence, Father. And if there's anything here that's standing in the way, would you give us the resolve, Father, to take care of it, whether it's an offense to a brother or a sister, uh, Father, whether it's a sin unbridled in our lives, Lord, would you just convict us of that, bring us to the end of ourselves, and uh, help us to cry out to you, Father, in total dependence, um, because that's the only path of restoration, Lord. We need that. Father, essentially, we need you. God, to answer that prayer. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.